Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Zechariah 9 verse 9 Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea, and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow, and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. The second reading can be found in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, starting at verse 12. And this can be found on page 1079 in the Church Bible. John, chapter 12, verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the feast heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that they had done these things to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead, continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had given this miraculous sign, went out to, him, to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. Esther, thank you very much indeed. Do please uh, keep your Bibles open to John chapter 12. We're uh, looking through uh, chapters 11 and 12 of John over these uh, Sunday evenings, and I'm going to pray that um, it would make some sense to us as we look at this passage tonight. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, but we know that there are many people who down through the years have come in the name of the Lord Jesus, but have not had his agenda as their own. And so we pray please, that you would help us to understand what he is about and then bring our lives and our thinking and everything that we are in line with his ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, All over the world today, it's an amazing thought to think of this, all over the world, millions and millions and millions of people will have gathered to celebrate Jesus as Lord and Saviour of the world. 
People have gathered in great cathedrals and in small groups tucked under a tree somewhere. Uh, In mega churches in Korea and in the US, tens of thousands will have met to praise the Saviour. And then in underground churches, in countries where it is illegal to name the name of Jesus, to own the name of Jesus, tiny groups will have met in secret gatherings to encourage each other to keep going in the Christian faith. All gathering to say, Jesus is Lord and Saviour of the world. But here is the thing. Around the world, in these different gatherings, large or small, what one church will have meant by that, Jesus is Lord and Saviour, will be quite different to another. So, for example, in parts of South America, um, Jesus will have been proclaimed as a Saviour who will liberate you from poverty or a, a, a repressive regime. In many Western churches, and perhaps most notably in a network of churches that were originated in a large Australian church, Jesus will have been proclaimed today as the one to save us from mediocrity. And those attending those churches will have been told that Jesus wants to give you the job you want and the future you dream of. He wants to give you your heart's desire. You just have to ask with faith. Claim it, and he'll give it to you. And then all over the world, Jesus will have been presented as the one who wants to save you from disease and disability. We love that idea of uh, that kind of saviour because when we we suffer, we want to be healed. Now, of course, there is some truth in all of these things, which is why we listen to it, why we get sucked into it. The point is this, while there is one historical saviour, Jesus Christ, There has always been a number of different understandings about what Jesus has come to save us from, what he will actually give us, what this deliverance will mean for us. And one of those misunderstandings was rampant in a crowd that had gathered in John chapter 12, where we see our first point, Jesus entered Jerusalem to save. As we step into verse 12 of chapter 12, we're in Jerusalem, you'll see it there, uh, the then capital city of Israel and the place was heaving you see in verse 12 a great crowd had converged on the city they'd come from all over Israel some may have traveled from other parts of the world they'd come verse 12 to celebrate the feast that is the Passover Uh, the Passover was that most precious time in in Jewish in the Jewish calendar when they remembered how God saved the the children of Israel years back out of slavery to the Egyptians and led them towards the promised land. Josephus, who was a first century Jewish historian, reckons that two and a half million people would have converged on Jerusalem for the feast. And if you've ever been to Jerusalem, you'll know how narrow the streets of that old city are. It's a squeeze at the best of times. With so many people flooding into the city, it would have been bedlam. And John tells us that huge crowd got news that Jesus was on his way to the city. And verse 13, they went out to meet him. And is it any wonder that they went out to meet him? News had spread about Jesus. He'd performed many miracles. He'd moved and inspired people with his teaching about the kingdom of God. And then to top it all, what we've been seeing in these last week, he raised a dead man called Lazarus. He called him out of his grave and the dead man came out. Jesus conquered death. No wonder they went out to meet him in their droves. This huge crowd were convinced that Jesus was their Messiah, the saviour they'd waited for and the saviour they so needed. Verse 13, they cried, Hosanna. It means save now, not just save, do it now. 
Picture the scene that John paints for us in verse 13. Jesus on his way into Jerusalem, a huge crowd lining the route and waving palm branches and shouting, verse 13, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. When we look at their words there, their words declare that they thought that Jesus was their king. Blessed is the king of Israel. And that he had been sent by the Lord. He comes in the name of the Lord. That's what their words were declaring and their actions declared what they wanted their king to do for them. See, holding palm branches was very significant. Palm branches were the the recognised symbol of the Jewish state. You know how it goes. The, The Welsh have leeks. The English have roses. The Scots have thistles. The Irish, Guinness. I mean, shamrocks. Many nations have a plant as an emblem. For the Jewish nation, it was palms. So taking Palm Sunday, uh, palm uh, branches with them was like uh, a crowd lining the streets of London waving Union Jacks as the Queen rides past in a horse-drawn carriage. Palm branches were a a national symbol. Uh, So this was a deeply nationalistic movement. The crowd wanted a saviour who would liberate the nation, the Jewish nation, from the Romans, the occupying force in Israel. They wanted a leader to inspire an uprising, to crush the oppressive might of the Roman Empire, to deliver them and free them. And what better time to do it than Passover? After all, God had raised up Moses to deliver his people out of slavery of Egypt. Surely this was the perfect time for God to once again use his man to deliver his people, this time from Roman oppression. So they shouted, Hosanna, verse 13, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And they were quoting Psalm uh, Psalm 118, a psalm that was sung every Passover. It's a psalm that, that looks back to the first glorious liberation at the Exodus. Now they longed that Jesus would bring them a second liberation from the Romans. Jesus, save us now. Now look, here's the big point, the first big point, and really the, the, the big point of the whole passage They recognised that Jesus was the saviour and their king sent from the Lord and they were right. But the kind of saviour they wanted Jesus to be was entirely wrong. It was driven by an unhealthy nationalism. They wanted the, the Jewish nation to be liberated from an oppressive regime. It was a political deliverance they wanted. But that isn't the type of saviour that Jesus is. Now look, um, in case we think, oh, that's all very sort of, you know, uh, 2,000 years ago, it is very easy for us to fall into the same trap. For us to allow our national identity to drive what we want from Jesus. I am a a fan of the Eagles. Some of you won't have a clue who they are. They're an American rock band that were big in the 70s and 80s. They're not a Christian band, not in the slightest, but from time to time in their lyrics, in their songs, um, they've made comment on Christianity in the church, often quite perceptive but not positive Uh, listen to these penetrating words from their song frail grasp on the big picture now being an American band they're commenting on the American scene uh, the American church scene and we pray to our Lord who we know is American he reigns from on high he speaks to us through middlemen and he shepherds his flock we sing out and we praise his name he supports us in war he presides over football games We chuckle, but it's the way we think. We pray to our Lord, who we know is American. He supports us in war. 
Now, you might call it a bit cynical, but I want to listen to the way unbelievers view what we say and how we are, what we are. And so those lyrics challenge me to consider how, how much of my praying can turn into being nationalistic. Look, here we are at the end of a weekend when the news has been dominated by Brexit. And we're at the beginning of a week that feels as if it could be very significant in shaping this nation for years to come. So let me ask you, how have you prayed about Brexit, if you've prayed about it at all? I do hope you are praying. See, adapting the words of the eagles, do we pray to our Lord who we know is an Englishman? Have we asked the Saviour to rescue this nation from economic Armageddon? Is that what we want to be saved from? Have we prayed for an outcome that is best for Britain or best for the whole of Europe? Now, look, as I'm saying this, I am not taking a view. Obviously, I have a view, but I'm not presenting a view. I'm simply asking how we're thinking about our response. Have we prayed for the outcome that is best for Britain or the best for the whole of Europe? And what do we mean by that? As we cry out, save now because we do feel it's a pretty critical moment in this nation, what do we want Jesus to save us from? As we pray about this issue of Brexit, are we metaphorically waving Union Jacks or or European flags? And I'm not saying we should be doing either. That's the point. Jesus is Lord of the whole earth. He is involved in every aspect of life. Politics matters. But as we'll see in a moment, a nationalism that has no concern for the nations is not the kind of salvation that Jesus is about. Jesus entered Jerusalem to save. To get our thinking straight, second we see Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, verse 14. (laughs) It seems such a small thing, but riding on a donkey was a huge statement. As Jesus entered Jerusalem with the crowd wanting to make him king, see that there is from Jesus no stirring acceptance speech no declaration of his plan for world domination he just plodded on on a young donkey now I know there are some people in this uh, in this church family who love donkeys I'm not going to make any sort of um, derogatory marks about the humble donkey Um, but just think of donkeys that you know Uh, think of Eeyore in Winnie the Pooh he has no oomph about him lovable no oomph. Think of the donkey in Shrek, the donkey that is rather unimaginatively called donkey. Uh, lovable, but a bit of a buffoon. Or away from the world of cartoons, let me take you to the typical British seaside town and a great throwback from the Victorian era. Yes, the donkey ride on the beach. We love it, don't we? And we will happily put very little children on their backs because donkeys are safe, because they are so placid. Think of the donkeys you know. They have no oomph, they're placid. But here's the real thing, they are a sign of humility. If you were rich and powerful, you didn't ride a donkey, but a stallion. And that's significant. Jesus rode into into Jerusalem on a donkey, and not a stallion, not a war horse. Because Jesus is not a military warrior, not a nationalistic liberator. He quite deliberately mounted a donkey in order to put their thinking straight to demilitarize their vision, to reinterpret their understanding of his kingship. It was a brilliant way of Jesus speaking into the nationalistic fervor and to correct their misunderstanding. And it was brilliant for two reasons. First, because Jesus would never have been able to speak above that crowd. He'd have never been heard. Picture the scene, huge crowds. 
couple of million in the city. I don't know how many actually went out, but you know, it's, it's, it's heaving with people and the excitement of the anticipated Passover feast. And then with Jesus coming, the fervor and the hype of the messianic expectations, Jesus would never have been able to speak into that kind of situation. Nobody would have heard him. So he did something very visual. He got on a donkey to communicate to the crowds. It's brilliant, isn't it? But the reason it was so brilliant was that he did it to change the way they're thinking because the prophet Zechariah had predicted this moment. Verse 14, Jesus found a young donkey and sat upon it as it is written in Zechariah. Do not be afraid, O daughter of Zion. See, your king is coming seated on a donkey's colt. See, what he's doing is he's saying, look, remember your Bible. Read Zechariah's prophecy and it explains what kind of saviour I am. Now, we're going to look at that together in just a moment. But before we do, John tells us something very important. The next words that John writes are very important. John says people didn't get the point. And it wasn't just the crowd who didn't get the point about uh, Jesus' donkey ride. Jesus' closest disciples didn't get it either. Look what John says. Very next thing he says, verse 16. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him. Now, I think John is saying here, there are, there are two crucial things that we need to get to grasp and understand what kind of saviour Jesus is. First, his glorification. Do you see it there? Verse 16, only after Jesus was glorified did they realise that these things had been written. Now, the glory of God is a huge theme in John's gospel. John tells us we see the glory of God at the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the resurrection is, is obviously glorious. In the resurrection, we see the mighty power of God to raise his son from the grave. What seems far from glorious is Jesus' death on a cross. And because that seems so much less glorious than the resurrection, John emphasizes that the cross is where we see God's glory. Now just think of the cross at the moment. We're going to be remembering it in the bread and wine uh, later on uh, in, this, uh, in this service together. Just think of the cross. Can you barely think of a moment when Jesus looks less glorious than he did with dying on a cross? But when we understand the cross, we can see that God is, is more than a powerful God who can raise the dead. He is that. Look at the cross though and you see he's a powerful God who loves And he uses his extraordinary power for the good of others, not for himself. And who loves us so much that he will die so that we can be forgiven and restored into a living relationship with God again, even though we deserve nothing of it because we've rebelled against God all our lives. And yet he says, I love you. I will die for you. Do you see, we see his glory as this powerful God sacrifices himself for sinful people. Have you ever heard of such a thing? The king of all the earth with all power who humbles himself to death on a cross for the salvation of his people. His glory is seen at the cross. And in verse 16, John says the disciples didn't understand the meaning of Jesus' donkey ride until he'd been glorified. That is, until he had died on the cross. 
because the cross shows me the kind of saviour he is. And his riding into Jerusalem on a donkey is a visual sign of what kind of saviour he is. Namely, he is a humble king who humbled himself even to death on a cross. And second in verse 16, John says, only after Jesus was glorified did they understand that these things had been written about him. So you see, there's two things we need to understand what kind of saviour he is. We need to understand him through looking at the cross. And second, we need to look at the scriptures. See, after Jesus' death and resurrection, you can just imagine the, um, the penny dropping for the disciples. Jesus died on a cross. They met then the risen Jesus they are given the gift of the Holy Spirit and then they're sitting around together about and thinking about the events that have gone on in the last few weeks and um, up to Jesus' death. And then one of them says, oh, the donkey. Now I get the donkey. It's what Zechariah said. Your king is coming gentle and riding on a donkey. And then they've got their Bibles out and had a small group Bible study on Zechariah chapter nine. In a moment, we're gonna do the same. But just before we do that, see that That John says in verse 16 that you must have these two things to understand what kind of saviour Jesus is. The cross and the scriptures. Here's the surprise, you see. You can have the scriptures, but if you don't understand them through the lens of the cross, you'll come to the wrong conclusion. The crowd had the scriptures. They read Psalm 118 and concluded that Jesus was a nationalistic saviour, liberator. Today, all over the world, Christians have the Bible and conclude that Jesus is a saviour who will give you health and wealth and all manner of things, save you from poverty or meaningless or illness or whatever. Yeah, we need the scriptures to understand Jesus, but we need the scriptures to understand the cross and we need to read the scriptures with the cross in mind in order to understand the saviour. That, I think, is what John is saying in verse 16. At first, his disciples didn't understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him. And so now, with the cross in our minds, let's turn to Zechariah chapter 9, and we'll do this final little Bible study that the disciples would have done. Page 955, um, the, uh, the first of those two readings that Esther read for us earlier. Zechariah chapter 9. And uh, it's verses 9 to 12, page 955. And we're nearly there, verse 9. You see it? Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. Gentle and riding on a donkey, on the colt, the foal of a donkey. There's the verse that John quoted. And we can see from this verse that Jesus is king. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation. He is king, and he's the king who comes to save, having salvation, verse 9. But he's riding on a donkey, and the point is there halfway through verse 9, gentle, humble. He's on a donkey, not a war horse. He hasn't come to bring war, verse 10. I will take away the chariots for me for him. And the war horses from Jerusalem and the battle bow will be broken. He's not come to make war. He isn't a nationalistic saviour. Verse 10, he will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. This gentle saviour who rides on a donkey is for all nations, not just for one nation. He is going to be king of all the earth. And how will that happen? Not by military action, but verse 11... Through the blood of the covenant. Through his death on the cross. 
Through his death on the cross, he will bring, verse 11, freedom for prisoners. That's how he liberates people, by dying a substitutionary and sacrificial death on our behalf. Do you see, with the cross in our minds and the scriptures in our hands, now we understand what kind of saviour he is. He goes to war by dying on a cross. Through his death, he brings peace with God and peace between the nations. This moment of Jesus riding into Jerusalem on a donkey was to show what kind of saviour he is. This donkey ride was to show the, the nature of his kingship. And so on this weekend, with the Rugby World Cup for some of us bringing to the fore our strong national identity and with Brexit debate reaching such a pivotal moment, please know that our saviour is not English or Irish or Welsh or Scottish. He's not British or European. He is the saviour of the whole world. And his salvation is not economic or political. And it's definitely got nothing to do with sport. Even though as king of all, he cares about economics and politics and probably sport as well. He has come to save people from all nations and to save them for eternity, to bring us back into relationship with God. And in his united kingdom, one day to bring world peace in the glorious new creation. Now, here's the question. Does that understanding shape the way we pray about the issues in front of us every day and not least of all now in this nation? Or does a desire for this nation's prosperity, or may I say our own prosperity, change the way we pray and think about these issues? Have we cried out to the saviour for a Brexit solution consistent with Jesus' agenda? For the salvation of all nations? Whichever way it goes, will we end up being deeply disappointed because we didn't get our way? Or if it doesn't go the way we think it should go, will it be because we're deeply disappointed because the gospel's going to be affected? Is the cross and the blood of the covenant, as Zechariah puts it, the driving force behind the way we think about Jesus as saviour and therefore about how we should live our whole lives? Or have we been lured into thinking about him as a political or economic liberator? Or come to that one who will deliver us from poverty or problems or poor health or whatever it is? In short, have we listened to Jesus and the Bible about what kind of saviour he is. Let's pray together. Now, Father, we want to thank you very much for putting us in the place you've put us in. And uh, for many of us, that means we're English and in England and other people, well, in England at the moment, but maybe uh, with another national identity. And we, we thank you for putting us where we are. And we thank you that at times you've laid on our hearts real passion for this nation or for Europe or for another nation, for the gospel. And we know that all of that is helpful and, and reasonable. But we do pray that you'd help us to identify when that isn't actually gospel-driven, but nationalistic. And we pray you'd help us to repent of it 
And we pray indeed that you'd help us to be those who have um, the same gospel agenda as the Lord Jesus, to be more concerned for the nations than for one nation's prosperity or our prosperity. Now, Father, help us please, particularly in this uh, momentous week for Britain, to be thinking about how we might pray and then to be praying. And we would dare to pray now that you would do what is best not only for Britain but for Europe, that you would do what is best in terms of the gospel uh, over these next weeks and months and maybe years. We know that this nation and Europe need the gospel desperately. And so we pray that that would be our heart's desire above everything else, knowing that the Saviour has come into the world riding on a donkey, humble, to bring salvation to the nations. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.